I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Go ahead and be seated because when I do, I'm still in Proverbs and I'm wanting to, I'm not necessarily wanting to finish them. Every t- I, I this this um, this if I get to all of them, these next three proverbs, at least uh, uh, two of these, I was um, I was studying them today, and especially the one I'm about to read to you. Uh, I felt conviction, and I had to stop what I was doing and make some uh, connections, if you would, with some people. And I think when I get into this, you'll understand it because it's Proverbs 25, 25. Uh, did you have that in the Amplified, sis? Okay, good. And I'm reading it out of the King James. It says, cold waters to a thirsty soul, comma, as cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news from a far country. Now, there is a lot of different ways that people and commentators will take this particular proverb. Uh, And I've got, I'm going to give you some of them. Uh, Personally, I uh, feel that it's good for all of us. It's not just a matter of hearing from Russia or from Palau, good news, which is part of that. Uh, but it is the fact that people need to hear from us. Family members, someone you've known from the past, somebody, a backslider, whatever it may be, they need to hear good news from a far country. Because what does it say? It says, as cold waters are to a thirsty soul. So, you know, this is a matter of, of, of communication, I think, more than anything else. And do you keep people informed of, no, there's a key here, good things. Do you keep people informed of good things? If you would inform people of good things as much as you inform them of bad things, we would have a church full of people on Wednesday night. So are you a good communicator? Are you an information facilitator? Do you consider those who might be out of the loop and miss a good report? Are you a, a consistent correspondent with those desiring to hear from you? And do you remember those people who love you? Do you remember those people who love you and, who, and would rejoice to have a good word from you? Now, you understand why I had stopped doing what I was doing because there was a lot of people I hadn't communicated with. There were some people here that, that uh, <laughs> first thing I did was I, I, I dropped everything I was doing, picked up my phone because thank God for texting. It's better than Facebook. And, and you know, because I, 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 I don't hear good. So I, I, was, I was singing a song a while ago. They were uh, rain down, and I thought it was lay down. So, so I had to turn around and read to find out. I was lay down, Holy Spirit. And that didn't even make any sense, but that's what I thought it was being said. You know, I could lay down, Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, you know, he don't need to lay down. He need, you know, we lay down enough on him. So I can't be right. <laughs> but regardless, you know, I, I dropped it and I, 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 I text Kay Wesley. Just told her what I was doing. I just said, you know, I, I, I've, I'm doing Proverbs twenty five twenty five, and I said I feel like I just need to let you know that. We love you and miss you and are looking forward to seeing you again. And she sent me back a text and said, Aw. 
<laughs> and then you know, I'll, and that made that was that was that was a a cold drink of water for a thirsty soul. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what what we're doing? You know, this, this, this proverb is a simple analogy, or what you might call a simile. A thirsty person is encouraged, preserved, and refreshed, and revived, and sustained by a cold drink of water. Have you ever been out, you know, in, in one of our, our, our Indiana summers when it's, the, the humidity is, you, you can walk out, it's like you're in hot bath, and you know, and it's 90 degrees plus 100% humidity, and you walk out and you instantly sweat, instantly sweat. And you're out there mowing the yard, and it's so dusty. You got a dust storm stirred up, and you're sucking that in your nose, and you're breathing all that stuff. And and you're out there, and your wife don't care. She's in the air conditioning, and you know she don't care. Or your husband doesn't care. He's in the air conditioning, whichever it may be. And 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 you know you you get a cold drink of water, and it absolutely it, nothing does it like that. You can drink 40 cokes or Pepsi's, and nothing does it like cold water. Nothing does it. And that's what he's saying here. See, now this revives you. You're sustained by it. And you should be able to see people's happy face and feel the thankful heart of someone who, you know, you give a cold drink of water to in a situation like this. And a good report from a, a distant friend or, or even if it's a business project has the same effect uh, on, on an individual, on those who hear this. So good news is a great gift. And guess what about good news? Good news is cheap. You don't have to pay a thing for it. That's cheap. You don't. You know, you know, bad news costs you something. You tell enough bad news, and people want to get away from you. But good news, that's cheap, and people love to be around someone who has something good to say. So why not communicate more? Simple way to refresh others. You know, most commentators, when they look at this proverb, uh, they, they put a New Testament bent to it, and they say it, that it, it has a spiritual application. And what they do is they make the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ, which the gospel is good news, of course, and they make the far country heaven. And by using uh, well-known verses throughout the gospel, they can put that bent. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that because we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is very, very good news. The death, burial, and the resurrection, you know, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost with evidence of uh, speaking in other tongues, that is the good news. And, and there's nothing better than that. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to something like this, I, I think that, that we... We have to realize that that uh, Solomon was was saying something more. You know, that says the greatest news is the, is of course the gospel. But Solomon he taught practical lesson, lessons of wisdom, and and as he made clear in the book's introduction in Proverbs one one through nine, you see that there is a, there's no reference to the good news of Jesus Christ there, but there is a reference to sometimes a proverb is an obscure, if you would, saying that has a hidden sense and, and a deeper meaning. And that's one reason I feel so uh, led to, to finish up and to do and go through Proverbs because there is something else there that so many people read over. You know, you don't just take the Bible and read it like a textbook. You have to stop and ponder things and look into them. And, and there's a deeper lesson in this. So is there a practical and valuable lesson of wisdom in those words that we just give you? And yes, there is. And there's an obscure suggestion. Is there an obscure suggestion, rather, of an invention? It's not talking about the telephone. It's not talking about emails. Though you can use those things to connect. 
No good news from a distant persons or situations is encouraging and profitable. You know, it's good. So and so wise men are good communicators to please and profit those depending on them. And with the inventions for communication in the 21st century, there's absolutely no excuse for you not to get Are you getting ready? Get ready for this one. There's no reason for you not to get on Facebook and give some good news. You didn't think you'd ever hear me say that. I'm finally starting to see the light, though you'll never see me on Facebook. I promise you that. But I will say this. If you're going to have this demon in your house, you might as well use it. <laughs> it was good preaching, wasn't it? Okay. So you might as well use it to do something good with it. There's no excuse not to be. Now, let's take this a little further. How did hearing from Joseph affect Jacob? Think about that. How did that affect Jacob? He was bringing that up while ago, and that was one of the first things I was going to bring up. How did this affect him? He did not care about the food or the gold in his son's sacks compared to that wonderful news from a far country. Look at Genesis 45. Genesis 45 uh, I think I have verse 27 there. I hope it looks like 27 instead of 22. Yeah, you do. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, what did it do? It gave him a cold drink of water, revived and warmth and life returned to him. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Look at the effect that that had. Good news from a far country. The spirit of Jacob revived and he purposed to go see his son who is waiting to hear from you. And, and there, are there any fainting from troubles that would revive if they could hear from you? Think about what I just said. Are, is there people out there in your family, within your, uh, your circle of friends, that are fainting, if you would, from troubles? They've got so much. And just hearing a good word. That's the reason the proverb said a, a, a good word, a, a word spoken in season. It's like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And, and, and speaking the proper word and allowing it to soak into someone's heart and just the knowledge that you care enough to give them one simple word. It means all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. You know what our problem is? And, and this, is, this, this, this hit me. We're too selfish to communicate. We're too busy to communicate. We have silent temperaments. Or we're never trained. You know, some do not see the purpose or value of it. It is commonly heard out of sight, out of mind. But wise men do not think that way. Seeking to grow in favor with God and men, they're, they're they are consistent and thorough communicators. They know a good thought is of no value unless you use that good thought. You communicate that good thought. Do you think that God gives you all that revelation just for you? Will you ever stop and think about it? Let's just take it one step further. You know, I know the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron, but if God gives me a good thought and I tell you and you already know it, what good is it? That's what preachers do. They tell each other good thoughts. I'll say, we're sharpening each other. Well, you're not sharpening me. Getting on my nerves. Take that thought. Take that thought and give it to somebody who needs it. 
Oh, you know, I had someone tell me the other day. I think it was Jericho. Where is she? There she is. She said, Brother Robertson, the great thing about you is you just tell it the way it is. It's not me telling it the way it is, Jericho. It's what the Scripture says. It's not just, I'm just communicating that to you. The problem is, is that sometimes we dull down the Scripture. <laughs> you know, if, 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 I, if all I can preach is love, 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 without defining what love is, because love is not some kind of mushy thing. Love is as strong as iron. And love helps a person to find his way. It does not tell him he's okay in his sin. Now give the Lord a hand clap if you believe what I just said. You know, let's, let's, let's take it a little further here. Who wants to hear from you? Who, who feels they're in a far country due to a lack of news from you? You know, do superiors know your progress on a project? Do uh, other people that's maybe working for you know uh, what to expect or what you expect, rather, to uh, expect from them? And if you're pleased, do they know that? Do your parents know that you're well? Do your children know what you want them to do? When did you last encourage a distant friend in Jesus Christ? And how about a, a church member that may be outside the communication loop? And we have those. We have people that work some odd hours anymore. And sometimes they're out of the loop because you don't see them. Sometimes we just, you know, maybe they're not real talkative, so we fail to communicate with them. You know, I guarantee you that Brother Wet Knight can, can communicate to the dullest person in the face of the earth. I bet he can. He'll have something to say. Now, see, I was going to say it about me, but I prefer saying it about him. He'll have something to say to anybody. He knows how to do it. But I bet you, in how many years have you been selling? How many? Thirteen? Uh, you've always been able to talk, though. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've been doing this for, it was coming on 28 years now. And, you know, sometimes it's just putting a smile on your face. And you go up to people, you go up to people, and they can look at you, and they, you, they've got that stay away from me look. You've ever seen that? Oh, I've seen it. I've seen they come in and visit, and you go, stay away. Don't you touch me. Don't you get too close to me. Brother Ayers used to have that. He said, right over there, I still remember. He had that big old beard. He looked like Paul Bunyan. And he had that stay away look. But, you know, I kept going over there to him, and we kept communicating and kept communicating. And after a while, you found something. I had, a, I had a, a minister today call me from Tennessee. And he was asking me about somebody at used to go to this church that was down there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we talked a while. And, and he thanked me for telling him the truth. And you don't want to know <laughs> any more about that. Uh, and, I, and he said, well, I had that figured out. And I said, well, I figured you did uh, if you've been around that person. Any? Um, so, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, the next thing I asked him, he's in Tennessee. Now, what goes on to Tennessee? Shooting and hunting. I mean, you, you think of Tennessee, you think. I said, you know, I, I was thinking about a place down there. I said, I'm a hunter. Well, I'm in too. Well, 45 minutes later, I, all the guns that he had and the velocities that they shot and all the ones that I had. When I, and, you know, he said, man, he said, I really enjoy talking to you. And I said, well, I do you too. So, you know, you found something in common. That's why it's nice to find something. I, I, what do you, I, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm just saying that sometimes we leave people out because, well, we don't have similar likes. As long as they're not doing anything ungodly, develop something else that you can talk to them about. Now, that's some good preaching. Develop something. Because that's how you win people. You make friends with people. It's a whole lot easier to win a person that you're a friend with 
than it is someone, you know, you're just out knocking on the door. And that's the truth. Solomon had already taught in the context that a faithful messenger refreshes his master in Proverbs 25, 13. But here his emphasis is on the message. What good news can you communicate today to lift spirits and profit others? A good report makes the bones fat. It prospers the lives of men, according to Proverbs 15:30. And waiting too long can make a person sick, Proverbs 13 and 12. You could be a tree of life for others just by communicating right now. And what you need to do is just make a decision. I'm going to find someone. I'm going to communicate to them. I'm going to talk to them about some good things. Now, just be, be aware that I was not in any, any way minimizing the gospel of Christ when I just spoke to you a little earlier because it is the greatest news ever communicated on earth. And if you consider, consider this, the text, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good and publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth in Isaiah 52, 7. So exceeding, so exceedingly wonderful is this message that God, the God of heaven, once ripped the skies open over Judea with a multitude of angels from the army of heaven to convey the news to lonely shepherds. He said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. And if you look at that, my friend, that is the greatest news that there ever was. And God did not fail to communicate that to some lonely shepherds that was out in the fields. Aren't you glad you know the truth? Give him a hand clap. <laughs> Took too much time on that one. Proverbs twenty five twenty six. A righteous man. Here's another one that kills me. This was, I'm going to take a while on this one. Get ready. A righteous man talk, falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. I think one of the saddest things and things that that I can't tell you that I, I it's always there with me. It, to me, what I'm about to tell you is like the death of someone that you know very well. There's just always that empty space in your heart. You might be able to get over it and you grieve, but there's always that that empty space. And when I hear of any apostolic preacher failing, falling away from truth, falling away from truth. That is to me like a death, just like a death. And the wicked rejoice over something like this. This is what Solomon was saying right here. We need, as apostolic people, to stand up and be counted, every one of us. We resist the wicked by a holy life. We resist the wicked by a holy life. And let me take it one step further. Solid principles. Solid principles. Do not compromise in lifestyle or influence. Contend with the wicked by keeping God's commandments is what Proverbs 28.4 says. Deliver the oppressed by opposing the wicked, Proverbs 24.11. Fulfill your role by being the salt 
of the earth. Look at Matthew 5.13. We're all familiar with it, but we're going to look at it again. Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, its strength, its quality. Look at that, its quality. How can its saltiness be restored? It is no good for anything any longer but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. We are the salt of the earth, and when we lose that saltiness, we've lost something. What's that telling you? What's that tell? I mean, you stop and look at that scripture. What is that telling us? That's telling us that there has to be a difference in us. That we cannot be like the rest of the world. That we can't look like the rest of the world. We can't act like the rest of the world. We have to be different and we're no longer affecting. Salt is a preservative. It preserves the world. When we're taken out of here by way of the rapture, the preservation of this world will be gone. There'll be no more love in this world because the love of God is shed abroad in the hearts by the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost filled people are gone, there's no more love in the world. There's no more preservative in the world. Fountains and springs in the Middle East were important. The lack of rain in certain locations made them very important. A troubled fountain was one that inconsistently gave water. A corrupt spring was one that gave impure water. Such fountains or springs lost their value as assets, and they were a frustrating, frustrating disappointment. Righteous men or wise men are to be fountains. This is what it tells us. We're to be fountains of life. We're to be trees of life to those and them. But if they compromise their conduct or their influence, they're disappointing and frustrating as an inconsistent fountain or an impure spring to those needing water. They are inconsistent and they're frustrating. They're destroying everything that you have. There's nothing worse than taking your time to deal with people, to try to win them to God and have them come to a half-backslid apostolic who tells them it's okay to do this and it's okay to do that. And they begin to look at you and they say, why is it that they say you're the same thing that you are. Are you hearing me? We are the salt of the earth. And I don't think we're, we're not that strict around here. We just do things the Bible way. But when you get away from the Bible and you start doing things your own way just to build a crowd, all you have is a crowd. You do not have a church. Righteous fall down when they do not maintain a holy lifestyle. At least, well, before the wicked. It's whenever. And when they do not stand up against wickedness of the wicked. Two aspects of this falling of righteous, of a righteous man, provides another example of, of what we're going to call here an inspired ambiguity, which allows for God's commandments to be exceedingly broad. I want you to look at Psalm 119.96. Psalm 119.96. I'm going to explain that term here in just a moment. I have seen that everything human has its limits and end, no matter how extensive, noble, and excellent. But your commandment, look at this, your commandment is exceedingly broad and extends without limits into eternity. What God has commanded in His Word does not stop here on earth. It extends all the way into eternity. And note the top part, everything human has its limits. That's why God has a broad commandment 
to cover the weaknesses of humanity. It's not a matter. It's not a matter of any one little thing that we say you shouldn't do it. What matters is the bigger look, the broader aspect of everything. Why do we do what we do? Why do we tell you that it's wrong to put a lot of nasty stuff in front of yourself? Because it can, if you're watching bad things on television, if you're watching bad movies and other things that we won't get into right now, you know, is it the fact that it's bad or is it the fact of what it can cause you to do? That's why Jesus made the statement, if a man looketh on a woman and lusts after her, he has so much as committed the act. What he's saying was this, if you continue to look, I think you made that statement earlier, if you continue to look, eventually it's going to grow in your heart and you're going to do something you shouldn't do. The broad, that's why the commandments extend from here to eternity. If you stay within the confines of the commandments, you've got a roadway to heaven. Oh my. You can tell I haven't been doing this for a while. I love to teach. In fact, I love to preach. The fact of the matter is, there's not too much I don't like doing when it comes to ministry. <laughs> you know, righteous men, wise men, fountains of life, trees of life. I made that statement earlier, but if they compromise again their conduct, their influence, they're disappointing, they're frustrating as an inconsistent fountain, impure spring of those needing water. The righteous fall down when they do not maintain, maintain that holiness. I, I, don't want, I want you to understand that more than anything else. Those two aspects are so important. Paul ta- taught Timothy, um, and we're going to read this one too, the same double rule. Look at 1 Timothy 1 Timothy 4.16 Look well to yourself, to your own personality and to your teachings. Or teaching, rather. Persevere in these things. Hold to them. For by so doing you will save both yourself. These are the two aspects. And those who hear you. When you maintain a holiness lifestyle and you stand on the doctrine. We're going to get to that in just a moment. It's another one of the aspects. You stand on the doctrine. You're not just saving yourself. You're saving those that hear you. Because they look at you and they realize that you're real. You're not one of those people who have a Sunday experience and you're back out doing the same thing on Monday. A righteous man. A minister of Jesus Christ is duly bound, or duty bound, to carefully guard both his personal life and his doctrine. Two aspects. He is to live a holy life, and he is to stand immovable on Scripture. And it is by diligent zeal in both matters that a minister saves his own life and, and, and his hearers from shipwreck. It is only that way that stops it. If a wise man is foolish, even in a small way, it's like having dead flies in your perfume, which causes it to stink. Instead of of smelling good, you've got a bad odor there. Ecclesiastes 10.1 actually tells you that. Of course, the wicked rejoice to see a righteous man fall. They overlook all the sins of the ungodly, but they will spread a single sin of the righteous far and wide. David's adultery, David's adultery, 
Though a common sin among the wicked gave cause of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord and given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that is born to you shall surely die. Because of what he did, it caused people to blaspheme. So if a righteous man in a position of authority does not resist the wicked, and you people that are, are getting into these home churches, I want you to listen to this very well. You'll probably be hearing this again in some of the teaching that's going to be done. You need to listen to this well because you stand up where you're teaching a home Bible study, it doesn't make any difference. If you're standing up there and you're teaching somebody, they're looking to you and they think that you're above them. And that's okay. But you better act like you are. You better be careful what you say. You're saying you're scaring them all away. No, I'm not. Because I think that people can get an anointing in their life and they can make a decision to serve God. And whatever study and whatever you teach can not only help others, but it can help you as well. There comes a time in your relationship with God that you have to make a decision that you're going to live this the rest of your life and you're going to go to heaven. And if you don't make that decision, you're always going to be half in and half out. What are you saying, Brother Robertson? I don't know. A righteous man in the position of authority doesn't resist the wicked. Then who will? Who's going to resist the wicked? That's what people look for. They look at preachers. They say, you know, that, that gives... That, when I came, when I came to God, I looked at the platform. I looked at the platform. I was raised around. I was raised with him. But, you know, I always looked at the platform. And these guys gave me hope. They gave me hope because somebody could live right. And if these guys can live right, then there's hope that maybe I can. So I, 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 then, then if I can live right, I can make it to heaven. And if I can make it to heaven, I can take my, my children to heaven. I can take my grandchildren to heaven. So I've got to be above that. I've got to. Man of God is bound by God's blessings of wisdom and leadership to use his influence for godliness against evil. Job and David and others were examples of this virtuous role in society. They were examples of this. There is no excuse for falling down before the wicked. There is no excuse. You can overcome if you desire to overcome. If you maintain prayerful life, if you decide that you can do this and you make up your mind to do this, there's absolutely nothing you cannot do. The Bible says that I can do, Paul said it, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That means everything. That means it all. Proverbs 25, verse 27. This is another good one. It is not good to eat much honey. Anybody like honey? I love it. I can overdo honey because I know what does get nauseated on it. Just start eating it. Grab all the big old combs and chew down on that. I even buy honeycomb cereal thinking maybe it's, you know, it's the same stuff. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you use honey for sweetener. I mean, we're all addicted to fructose, dextrose, calamose, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, all that stuff, we're addicted to it. But, you know, honey is a natural sweetener. God gave us honey. He didn't give us all those other roses. Little honey goes a long way. 
Its sweetness exceeds most foods. So that a small amount can satisfy your taste and appetite. And indulging in more than a little will bring nausea and sickness, according to Proverbs 25:16. In the very same way, desiring or seeking praise from men... Oh, I didn't even finish that. Let's go out and finish it. It's not good to eat much honey. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. See, let's get the whole thing in there. I got so entertained with honey, I couldn't finish it. So for men to seek glory, their own glory causes suffering... And is not glory. In other words, you keep trying to tell everybody how great you are. You're not great at all. And you're nauseating. That's what it's saying. It's a great proverb. It's got a valuable lesson. As in many proverbs, human conduct is compared to a natural fact. Solomon used the universal knowledge of honey's sweetness to condemn the ambition and desire of men to seek their own praise. Stated, stated in a very pithy way, and, and these few words are helpful, intriguing, they're powerful for learning divine wisdom here. In our artificial society, I brought this up earlier, many are ignorant about honey. In case we're addicted to dextrose, fructose, glucose, lactose, maltose, sucrose, and corn syrup and other popular sweeteners which stimulate rather than satisfy an appetite. That stuff makes you hungry. That's just like caffeine for those of you addicted to caffeine. Makes you hungry all the time. I'm just about, I don't know I'm not addicted. I, I'm down to 25 cups a day. That's <laughs> just, that just get my heart beating when I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> You know, and, and when it comes to this, you know, they do. They stimulate rather than satisfy an appetite. And when, when did you last eat honey? You know, really, when's the last time? Uh, but to the informed, honey is a, it's a luxurious food. God created it for our benefit. And I do. I really, especially the fresher you can get it. And the problem with honey is it's expensive. It, it really is anymore to get the good stuff. The Lord described Canaan. This is how important it is. Israel's land of promise is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's how he, he described it. So, you know, it, it's, it's, something, it's something special. Even the manna that he gave Israel for 40 years tasted like wafers made with honey. So even there we see it. No one will deny that honey is sweet. It is twice as sweet as sugar. And in recipes calling for sugar, only half the amount of honey will work. Seeking compliments, praise, or glory is a foolish as gorging on honey. It becomes revolting. And wise men avoid praise, even though most today are obsessed with it. They really are. Trying to increase your glory and popularity will be disgusting to others watching you. And what you thought was sweet had become nauseating. Any honor you must seek is not truly honor, for it's not real or sincere. And those that are giving it are offended by it. They really are. Moses, one of Israel's greatest leaders, uh, but he was the meekest, the Bible says, a man on earth. He did not want glory. Look at Numbers 12, verse 3. Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man, Moses, was very meek, gentle, kind, and humble, or above all the men, of, or above all the men on the face of the earth. So he was the humblest man on the face of the earth. And that's, that's quite a compliment. God defended this humble man by severely punishing any who accused him of pride. 
You can see that same thing in Numbers 12, 1 through 15. Wise men and holy women will both seek to be meek. According to Matthew 5, 5, that's what they, you know, they will do. They, they will seek that, James 3, 13. As did Paul in following Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 1. He only gloried when forced to do so for the profit of other people. Have you, uh, you know, this is, some of these things are, <laughs> are kind of funny. I think I had James 3, 13. Did I have that in there? Right, put that up there. I'm sorry, I forgot that one. Who is there among you who is wise and intelligent? Then let him be by his noble living show forth his good works with the unobtrusive humility which is the proper attribute of true wisdom. Unobtrusive humility. Unobtrusive humility. That's, uh, again, quite a saying. You ever, have you ever heard a backdoor compliment when a person thanks God for making him so gifted? I mean, the Bible even speaks of that. Pharisee and the publican. Went in to pray. Thank God I'm not like that publican over there. I pay my tithes. Do all these things. Publican's down there beating himself on the chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. God accepted the publican. Did not accept the Pharisee. And this is what we're saying. You know, and there are actually people who do that. Have you ever given yourself one of those backdoor compliments? You know, it's okay to do it. You say, I got a compliment nobody else will. You got to be careful patting yourself on your back because you could break your arm. So you got to be cautious with that. <laughs> Shame. You know, we have to learn, you know, can you restrain yourself in a group and not speak unless others ask you? Here's a good one. I've come to this place before, but I can't seem to gain any ground here. And that is, I'm really needing somebody to whine, you know, whine to. He's can't whine to him you know you, you need someone to whine to you know and I, I'm, I'm i'm sick and i come down sit down by eldar and tell him how bad i am and eldar doesn't say one thing he said oh yeah i had that last year and this is what it did to me you know i was crippled for a month or you know i was on crutches for what you have you know you ever die? you can't even get you can't get anybody to say there's always someone sicker than you are always Lori, you're a big one. You're always right. always someone is sicker than you are. So you can't even say. And do you realize what that does to a person? I mean, you try it sometime when it's your turn. When you you always are giving someone you know some advice on sickness, and how well I overcame that. You know, I and I was so bad that you know I was in a car wreck yesterday and I sprung my shoulder. Well, I was in a car wreck a week ago and I broke both legs and my arm. Here, look at me. That's some good preaching, isn't it? Makes everybody feel bad. <laughs> the apostolic rule is to reject the vanity of glory for yourself and make others and their things more important than you. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from factional motives through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or for unworthy ends or prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in this true spirit of humility, lowliness of mind, let each regard the others as better than and superior to himself, thinking more highly of one another than you do of yourselves. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interest, but also each for the interest of others. In other words, look out for other people's stuff more than your own. That's what that's saying. Just do it that way. And if you crave praise and glory, then wait for others to give you some so you can know it's sincere and deserved. 
If you have to wait a long time, then be assured you didn't deserve any. So why do you even want praise? You know, why do we even need that? You know, and, and instead of wanting it, praise someone else. And don't let it be a back door. Hey, man, I really like your suit. You know, you're walking around. You know, so. <laughs> That's what I did to him the other day. I, I got this new suit jacket. My wife's been sick, and I had the pocket sewed shut and the split in the back sewed up. And I, I did manage to get the, the, the <laughs> pockets done. And then he noticed uh, Sunday night that I had the back. I never got it. But he noticed it. Probably someone of you would never have said anything. But he said something, of which I'm glad he did. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, praise someone else. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive, and especially in this manner. When a person tells you about an event in their life, I said this earlier. I covered again. I'll, I'll jump over this one. Your typical response is to raise a similar event. I've already talked on that. The only real approval that matters to is God's approval. And reject the praise of men for the praise of God, and it will keep you from a horrible snare, according to the Scripture. Always ask for the praise of God. God will give you. God will let you know. You're doing things right. God will let you know. And listen, I'm not telling you this to say it's not. It is a good thing to let people know how much you appreciate them. But don't have to have that. That is one of the things in preaching that if a person that is ministering will ever learn this, they'll be fine. If they don't learn it, they'll never, ever make it. And that is you do not preach for people to give you a response. You preach what God gives you whether they respond or not. That's what you do. And preaching, you have to do that. Because if you preach for a response, you'll only preach messages that make people respond. The only real approval, again, is God's. Uh, in fact, Diotrephes could not reject man's honor, so beloved John severely censored him. In 3 John 1, 9, uh, actually, it's, there's only one chapter there, 3 John 1, 9 through 11. And remember that anything highly esteemed by men, according to Luke 16, 15, is an abomination to God. So if you examine yourself in the mirror of Scripture, you'll see enough blemishes and deformities to keep you humble and avoid glory uh, from men. Because if you begin to look at yourself in honesty, you'll realize there's a lot of problems that you have. And you don't need everything. You, know, you don't need all that praise. Aren't you glad? Stand with me and clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I'm glad that... I, you know, I, I, I think sometimes too much, probably, but uh, I try to imagine life outside of knowing God, you know, really knowing God. I try to imagine that, and I realize how empty that life was. I think back on my own life before I came to God and, and can look at it. I was much younger, but, but I realized that there was such an emptiness there. And, you know, the real problem for me when that emptiness was the fact that I knew what I needed. But yet I kept pushing it away. And, and I look back and, and I think, what if I hadn't made that commitment when I did? What if I hadn't have done that? Where would I be today? If you ever wonder and, and think that, you know, God, why are you doing this? He made this statement. God, why are you doing this to me? Look back at what could have been. Look back at what could have been. And if you can ever have God do something for you, let him just kind of give you a brief glimpse of what your life could have been like without him. 
where you would have been, what you would have been doing. There's some of you that have been in jail. Some of you would have been dead. You probably would have been dead. You probably would have. I know I, I'm pretty sure I was working that direction. Thank God for truth. And thank God that we embrace truth. Thank God every time you have an opportunity, thank God that you embrace this truth. Wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Raise your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. And I pray that you would touch each and every one, bless them, keep them as they travel, Jesus. For we know, Lord, that you do all things well. And we praise you and glorify you here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Go communicate to somebody how wonderful they are.